Good morning, and welcome to episode 445 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. Today we are going to be talking about one of the tight divisions in baseball. So far there are, there are two really, both, both of the Eastern divisions so far this year are extremely close. Right now, the Yankees are still playing as we are recording this and, and are trouncing the Angels soundly early in that game. So it looks like if that score holds up, the Yankees and the Orioles will be tied for first in the AL East. All the other games are finished for the night, and there's only a, a three-and-a-half game spread right now between first and last place in the AL East. So we wanted to bring on the creator of Team Entropy uh, a man who likes to see close races and ties, Jay Jaffe. Hey, Jay, how are you? Hey, I'm pretty good. Good to be back. We are obviously a long way before we can start imagining five-way tie scenarios that we always enjoy doing when the season gets a little later. But is this our best chance for this year? Is the AL East the, the best chance to give us one of those crazy tiebreak scenarios? I don't know if it is. I mean, I, I coming into the season, I had uh, three teams coming out of this division for the playoffs uh, with the Red Sox winning it and the Rays and Yankees as the wild card. With Matt Moore going down and Alex Cobb hitting the sidelines for a while and the Rays really having a, a fair amount of trouble on both sides of the ball, I'm, I'm kind of convinced that they're that they're not going to stick around in this race. Um, they're, you know, they're 15 and 19 right now. Only ten runs in the red, but uh, just not seeing the type of team that that I usually see from them, that we usually see from them, and and uh, uh, really not the pitching depth there. They're allowing more runs than the league average uh, right now, four and a, more than four and a half a game. I can't remember the last time they were that bad, mm-hmm. uh, and that's in a pitcher's park. So, um, you know, maybe they could somehow swing a deal or, or come up with somebody who who uh, you know is better than than uh, Eric Bedard or whoever at the back of their rotation. But um, I'm not really a believer right now, and I was just a few weeks ago, but the injuries have, uh, have changed my mind on them. Can you imagine it coming together, maybe like a sort of a second-half run if, if Hellickson comes back and Alex Cobb should be back by the end of the month? And there's still bullpen issues that I don't know how they would fix. But at Yeah, least the... I mean, I... Sure, I can imagine it because the Rays are a very resourceful organization. But you know, I kind of felt like they they took some half measures in in building this year's team anyway. That that you know, I, I was putting some faith in their solving. Like I'm not a you know, you guys know I'm not a big believer in James Loney. Um, obviously, he had a good year, a good part of a year last year. He's off to a very good start this year, and he's been killing the Yankees when he's played them. So it's kind of like in your face, Jaffe. Every time uh, <laughs> uh, I'm watching him. Um, you know, I, David DeJesus, uh, you know, in a, in a reg, in regular duty in the outfield and DH, that's, that's something I wasn't really much of a believer in. Um, you know, I, I'm not the hugest Hellickson fan in the first place. His performances had been, you know, trending backwards for a while. Um, Eric Bedard seems to, seems to control the Yankees, but just about nobody else. Um, I had forgotten that he uh, he shut them down uh, towards the end of last season when he was an Astro too, and he just absolutely flummoxed them on uh, on Sunday. So, I mean, you know, I never count the Rays out, but I'm counting them out. <laughs> the other thing too is that the Rays probably, um, you know, the Rays don't necessarily play on a six month schedule. If they're 
five and a half out in July, you could very easily see them, um, you know, trading some pieces off, right? I mean, they're going to be sensible about this, but that lessens the chance of a, you know, a final two months miracle that some of the other teams might have a chance at. Yeah, and you know, and we've we've uh, been bracing for the possibility that they could trade David Price, and and you know, he's still got uh, a year plus on on his deal. Uh, before he reaches free agency, but uh, as the clock ticks, you know he's losing value every day. And if he's not going to get you to a playoff spot, you're better off uh, getting more for him, uh, say by the trade deadline, than waiting till the winter when you're really only going to get um, a lessened return because he's only got one year left. So, does the fact that all of these teams are within a few games of 500 suggest to you that this division as a whole is? weaker than we thought it would be or that that we've become accustomed to having it be or is it a product of these teams beating each other or maybe just not playing up to their potential yet i think we're seeing some of these teams not play up to their potential i mean i certainly don't think the red sox are anywhere near their potential right now uh 17 and 17 four runs in the red uh you know i thought they were a much stronger team coming in and they haven't really had any calamities befall them um you know, just some you know minor bumps and bruises like Shane Victorino starting the year on the DL or something like that. Clay Buckholtz isn't isn't up to snuff, but you know, Buckholtz only gave them uh, you know less than half a season of work last year, so that seemed like something they could surmount too. Um, you know, there's a lot of small sample weird, weirdness lurking lurking between these these fairly level records. Uh, less so here than like when I was looking at the Marlins earlier today. Or yesterday now in in the in the parlance of uh, this podcast, okay. uh, you know, be at like a, uh, but because um, most of these teams are, are within a couple games of, of 500, both at, at home and on and on the road. Um, I don't have a, a clear enough idea in my head of who's played who yet uh, all over the place, but uh, I do know all these teams have had some dings here and there. Um, I you know I don't I'm not I'm not a huge believer that the Blue Jays are going to stick around in this. They're 17 and 17 right now. They just dropped a 10 run, uh, nine run, uh, seventh inning on the Phillies uh, as we as we're speaking here. Um, but they're they're a team whose pitching really hasn't uh, hasn't gelled as expected. Um, Brandon Morrow hitting the DL again with an injury and and uh, uh, that blockbuster from last year really not paying off yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wanted to, to ask you about the Blue Jays because they have hit. They've gotten some some really good offensive performances from a few people, but but the pitching has been pretty pretty ugly, which is not anything new for them. It's sort of what we saw last year, and and now they've got that gaping second base hole, which is like the the definition of your your vortex of suck. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah, I mean, as far as the pitching goes, uh, R.A. Dickey's ERA is about five again. Um, Brandon Morrow was, was, was approaching six before he went on the DL. Dustin McGowan has been struggling. Mark Burley's been great, uh, and he was great tonight. Um, but, uh, you know, not getting a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, solidity, you know, across, across the rotation. And as for the lineup, you know, Ryan Goins wasn't cutting it, but Jose Reyes is below the Mendoza line too. Um, you know, Colby Rasmus is, is, is kind of struggling a bit, although uh, more of a lopsided uh, – uh, low on base, high slugging percentage way than, than anything else. Um, you know, this is a team that kind of stood still over the winter. Their only real addition was was uh, Deion Navarro, but he's shored up the offense at the at catcher, and Melky Cabrera has come back uh, hitting like he was before he was suspended in 2012. So they're not really struggling to score runs, like you said. Mm-hmm. 
And do you, I mean, is this a team that if their struggles continue, it seems like they would be pretty set up to be a seller this this trade deadline. They've got a bunch of veterans. So, I mean, do you think a, a bunch of teams will come calling for those guys and will they be willing to deal them? And if so, does that mean that this whole sort of Blue Jays competitive experiment is is over, is a failure? Is it time to reset already? You know, I I, I really just can't, get a good sense of what of what they think they're going to do. I mean, you know, with like the uh, all the Alex Anthopoulos machinations of, you know, grabbing these guys off the waiver wire and things like that. I, I don't think they tear it down that quickly. Um, you know, I don't think that, I don't think they have to sell off everything, but I could I could see them maybe, you know, considering getting uh, trading Dickey for, and Burley, for example, um, if you know, if the returns are right. Um, I, but I have a hard time, you know, seeing them say, you know, trading off Edwin Encarnacion and Jose Batista, guys who have, uh, you know, who are on good contracts and still very productive hitters. Um, you know, my sense is that they've still got, uh, you know, some up and coming stuff in the farm system. This is this isn't the end of uh, the window for them, but you know, they're they're a tough one to predict. So uh, so far, this has been kind of a. A gloomy conversation it seems like uh, we're kind of collectively <laughs> down on everybody maybe that's just because we're moving up the standings but I mean the, the standings are so lumped together that there's basically uh, nothing you know really separating first and last place so um, these guys have all basically been playing each other uh, for the last month I mean it's been uh, yeah. an intra-division heavy schedule thus far uh, how I mean, how confident are you that we're not just seeing like five good teams that have been beating each other up, and that's why they all are around five hundred and sort of so so. Yeah, I think that's certainly possible. Uh, you know, I mean, the AL East is, is kind of the black and blue division. I mean, these teams do beat up on each other, and we've seen uh, that this could be a highly competitive division. Um, you know, I, I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. I mean, it's. It's tough to get a sense of, of teams when when they are just kind of beating up on each other, though. I mean, you don't have that much outside uh, uh, data to go on. Other than, oh, they lost that three-game road trip here or whatever. If there's a team that maybe has had good news so far, maybe it's the, the Yankees, who a lot of people were sort of down on. I think, I don't know, maybe the consensus was that they were, even after signing all of the free agents this winter, they were maybe set up to be about what they were last year, sort of a, a mid-80s team with maybe more more upside, but also a ton of downside with the, the injury risk that they carry because they're so old. And so far, at least, that hasn't spiraled out of control for them the way that it did last year. Have you taken any positives from what has happened? Yeah, so the, far? there's some big positives there. I think number one, Mark Teixeira uh, coming back and hitting for power. Uh, that four home runs in five games stretch and, and uh, just been swinging the bat very well. Uh, Jacoby Ellsbury has adapted very well. Um, we've seen flashes of from Carlos Beltran, but he's been in a bit of a slump. Um, likewise for for Brian McCann, but uh, you know the guys like Brian Roberts and uh, and and uh, Salarte have held their own in the infield. Um, Kelly Johnson as well. I mean that's you know they're not it's not pretty, uh, but it's but it's enough to get them to the trade deadline before you know maybe adding an extra piece and taking some of the pressure off of some of those guys. I, on the other hand, though, the the, the really big blow was losing Yvonne Nova. Uh, between that and and CC Sabathia, it's you know continuing to pitch poorly. 
uh, well below his standard. I think that those are those are the things that that I would be worried about. Uh, you know, in in them living up to to you know my expectations. Um, but uh, the bullpen has come together reasonably well, so I think there's there's uh, some reason for optimism there. You just tweeted that Derek Jeter is not dead yet, although it it looked looked like he might be. Well, yeah, I, the people were shoveling dirt on him this week, and and you know his performance hasn't really been there yet. But he's wait, I think he's uh, off to a four for eight start in Anaheim with with uh, his first home run of the year, a uh, double a couple nights ago. Um, you know, it's like he's he's one good week away from his stats having some you know some some blood in them, uh, as opposed to the power of death and and. Uh, you know, let's let's not forget that this guy missed of most missed most of last year. So you know, for him to take a month to really find himself, it shouldn't be all that surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, I think. Go on. If uh, yeah, uh, sorry. If if he if he is dead though, if this doesn't actually turn into something useful, and the Yankees stay where they are near the top of a you know the division, how do you sort of see it playing out? I mean, is there an, an exit strategy for anybody involved in this? Well, I think you probably going to be an obstacle. I think, you, I think you probably cut back on Jeter's playing time, especially when you've got a ground ball pitcher on the mound because you've got Brendan Ryan at your disposal. Um, I think that's where that's where it starts. You know, is 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 cutting back on Jeter's defense uh, so you don't take the hit there. Um, you know, you're not going to get a hell of a lot less offense out of Brendan Ryan, although you will get a bit. Um, but beyond that, I don't know. I mean, I think. Before that has to happen, though, I think is there's there's going to come a point where Joe, uh, Joe Girardi will drop Jeter in the lineup, um, you know, seventh or eighth, uh, not in an effort to humiliate him, but just to sort of you know take that extra at bat away from him and, and maybe uh, uh, a, a bit of pressure off of him. But uh, we, we saw that happen with Jorge Posada a few years ago, and it didn't end well. So you know, I don't know. It's it's a it's a very tight rope. He's got to walk there with the egos and and stuff like that. Although I don't think Jeter's going to be uh, throwing any kind of hissy fits the way that that Posada did uh, if it does come to that. Mm-hmm. And tied with the Yankees, it it looks like by the end of the night will be the Orioles. Uh, they've they've gotten a great start from Nelson Cruz, of course. They've Gotten a great start from Matt Wieters, who looks like this, his health scare, his elbow scare, is not as as scary as we thought it was. Um, are they a serious contender here? Did we underestimate them? What do you see from them? You know, there's th- there's definitely some things I like about them. Um, I, I saw earlier tonight Jonathan Scope hit a home hit a home run. Uh, he's a guy I like a lot. Uh, you know, Chris Davis hasn't produced much uh, and is on the disabled list as we as we speak. But you know, I gotta figure he's gonna come back and, and be if not the 53 homer guy from last year, then then give them a, a bit of a boost. Uh, Weeder's really dodged a bullet. Uh, you know, the concern about the Tommy John surgery. Uh, I think was was kind of soft pedaled. I looked at you know at, at SI.com. I looked at the history of catchers who have undergone Tommy John surgery, and it is a brutal list. I mean, the only ones who've come back to play in the major leagues uh, with any significant playing time are Taylor Teagarden uh, and John Baker, and both of those guys were just above the Mendoza line. So you know, in, in I don't think Weeders is going to keep hitting like he does. Uh, he may have to spend a fair amount of time at DH, but. Uh, uh, they ought to be glad that they've got him at all because uh, they could really lose uh, a big bat there. Um, but uh, you know, there's a lot to like there. I mean, Adam Jones, Nick Markakis, uh, those guys have traditionally been pretty good. Cruz is, uh, seems to be a great fit for that ballpark. Um, you know, J.J. Hardy's got his merits. Uh, the pitching staff is a little bit more of a, 
of a question mark. Uh, but you know, over the last two years, Bud Showalter's done a really good job of kind of playing the hot hands, uh, mixing and matching with guys from the minor leagues and, and uh, uh, whoever's doing the best uh, at the major league level with uh, really few constants. And you know, I mean, they've got to get Ubaldo Jimenez ironed out though if they're going to go anywhere. He's got an ERA above five. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's not what they signed up for, although they certainly had to know it was a possibility. Mm-hmm. And how how do you see all this playing out then? Is the, I mean, is the fact that we haven't really said anything bad about the Red Sox, does that mean that they are, they are the presumptive favorites now? To me, I, they, they, they've always been the favorites. I mean, you know, I think that they've got the most depth, certainly they're most in the minor league system that can help them. Uh, you know, and, and they've got they've got parts to move here. I mean, if they have to, uh, um, they they can uh, they can shuffle some guys around. I think they're a little bit worried about uh, uh, you know from their standpoint about what the, what they could could be getting out of Clay Buckholz the rest of the way. But like I said, he wasn't a guy who, who threw 200 innings for them last year. So you know, they could think about uh, uh, you know some spot starts for Chris Capuano or. or Brandon Workman, or you know, whoever gets them to the trade deadline, Mike Cart maybe will throw some more innings. I don't know, um, but everything everything there seems generally in working order. Uh, it just maybe needs a little, little bit more oil than uh, uh, than it usually does. But they, I don't see much in the way of catastrophes there. Mm-hmm. So, if if not the AL East, what is the division with the best hope for team entropy? Boy. Um, you know, I, that's that's a good question. I mean, maybe the AL Central. I mean, that one's that one's kind of upside down. Besides the besides the uh, uh, the Tigers from where it was last year with the Indians on the bottom, but the AL West. I mean, you know, obviously the Astros aren't going to be in it, but but uh, you know, suddenly the Mariners are a game above five hundred, and the Angels came into uh, came into uh, uh, today at at five hundred. So. You know, there's only two and a half games separating the top four teams there, so you know maybe there's some entropy there. I don't think it's going to hold that. That's going to hold uh, in the NL East, where it's only three games top to bottom. And I don't think the, I don't see the Mets or the Phillies uh, staying with it. And you know, for as hot as the Marlins start has been, I don't really see them there either. But uh, um, so I guess if I had to vote right now, it'd be the AL West is probably the best alternative for some serious team entropy. You know, for as many years as they've been playing baseball and as many divisions and as many races as there are, it, it feels like entropy is underrepresented in baseball's history. It feels like there's there's some there's some like malignant force that keeps the uh, truly astounding ties from happening. Do either of you know if there's been any any uh, any uh, attempt to discern whether there are more or fewer ties than there should be in history? Uh, you know, I don't know. That probably goes back to like I'm sure we tried something like that for the pennant race book, which came out in 2007. Um, uh, it ain't over till it's over. Uh, you know, there's and that had more to do with the concept of volatility and how often the, the leads change. I mean, I feel like we get. It feels like we've gotten more play-in games recently. Um, you know, game 163, uh, even before the wild card happened. I mean, on a you know statistical level. Um, and that has to count for something. We had, you know, only whatever, only a few in the first, uh, uh, you know, second half of the, of the of the 20th century, and we've already had more, you know, in the 21st century. And part of that's the addition of the wild card. But it seems like even beyond that, we, you know, we had a run there where we were getting like one a year uh, for a while. Um, I think what's to me what's 
you know, I, I, I hold out hope that we can see, you know, more races like uh, the NL in 1959, which I wrote about for that pennant race book, where you had three teams that went down to the final two days of the season in, in the Giants, uh, Braves, and the Dodgers. Um, you know, those teams, three teams fighting for one spot. Um, so uh, I don't know if, 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 if we'll get that lucky. Uh, but, you know, last year we had a fair bit of it with the, you know, with the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the play in game and then the wild and then the newfangled wild card game. And, uh, um, you know, back in 2011, we had the, uh, that, you know, great, great game 162 uh, night when everything, when all hell broke loose. So mm-hmm. um, I think we've, we've been comparatively blessed on the entropy front. I have no complaints. Ben, right. Yeah, ben, Ben's got me greedy. To me, it doesn't even start to count as a tie unless there are three teams. it's not sex unless it's an orgy (laughs) (laughs) all right well thanks jay uh you can follow jay you're giving me the hook now that i brought (laughs) explicit tag just at 443 episodes but we actually got we got this far without even invoking this explicit tag i'm sort of surprised um but and this, and this on a day that I got lectured for swearing by some <laughs> on Twitter by some reader. Yes, I thought I saw that. Well, you you didn't get to hear any of Jay's swearing today, but if you want to see some of it, you should follow him on Twitter, <laughs> uh, where he defiantly continues swearing, even though someone complained about it today. Um, at Jay Jaffe, J underscore Jaffe, and read all of his MLB coverage at Sports Illustrated at the Strike Zone site, MLB.si.com. So thanks, Jay. All right, thanks a lot. All right, please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to BaseballReference.com, subscribe to the Play Index, use the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription, and we will be back with a new show tomorrow. What's your take on sour beers, Jay? Not a fan. Not, not much of a fan. I, I, I'm a pretty, I got a pretty wide palate when it comes to beers. I like the IPAs. I like the, the dark stuff, too. Uh, but I don't go anywhere, uh, get, get anywhere with this, with the sa- the saisons and the sour stuff. It's all anybody talks about in Northern California. I know it's weird, and it's like, yeah, it just doesn't doesn't move me. I can, you know, hippie shit, can, you know, hippies love that bacteria shit. I, I guess so. I guess like, so. It's like uh, it's like having yogurt in your diet. It's just something that <laughs> Northern Californians love. Right. Fair enough.